Thank you, Leonard, and welcome back from um, having twin babies born to you two and a half weeks ago, hey? Two weeks ago. Wow. What a blessing. So this morning I was thinking um, with regards to, you know, why are we going through all of this? And I thought, it's like the Lord might be gently preparing us for a future where we cannot have church in venues like this. Who knows? We look at the signs of the times, it probably is. God is kind of, and look how beautifully He's doing it. He's doing it slowly and gently. You know, we get periods where we can get together, and then we get periods where we have to be at homes, and we can be in church in both end. And God is gently, I believe, preparing us for a more exciting future with more signs and wonders. Because the more the pressure comes on, the more we trust God. The more we trust God, the more God reveals Himself to us. So, tonight's message is entitled, Thrust into Sacrifice. I don't know if you remember, a while ago I preached on thrusting into the arms of God. Remember about Peter? Alright, so tonight's going to be thrust into sacrifice. So, who of you are avid rock climbers? Who likes climbing rocks and... Okay, it's one, two, three. So, I look... Yeah, Mika, my wife... Ugh, my wife. My daughter's just become a... Just started with rock climbing. And um, I look at these people climbing the rocks, and I think they either must be totally bonkers. Do you know what bonkers means? Off their heads. Or they're just much braver than what I am. Probably the second. They just very. But I mean, imagine doing that for a sports. Leonard, are you serious, brother? I mean, you can fall and hurt yourself. Where's the common. No, I'm just teasing. So, so. You look at them and you think, you know, are they just very brave? And am I not as brave? So you look at these guys, you think, okay, they're doing it. But then, who of you would agree with me, Christ is very brave? I don't think anybody is as brave as Christ, as Jesus our Savior. So, the question we'd like to ask, we'd like to answer tonight, is the question where the temple gods came to Christ... And um, they wanted to arrest him, book of John. And they wanted to arrest him, and it relates to the story. And then they ask, who is Christ? And then he says, here I am. And as he says, here I am, they are knocked backwards. And they stand up, and they ask again, where is Christ? Where is Jesus Christ of Nazareth? And he has to once again tell them, here I am. So the question is, why did they not recognize Christ after he responded to them the first time? And, um, and even though he said to them, here I am, they did not realize it. They never, they never fathomed that, you know, they never clicked that he was saying that to them. They were, and they never saw him, they never recognized him. So the, the scripture we're going to read regarding this is, Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. So he stepped forward to meet them. This is now the temple gods. Who are you looking for? He asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with him. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Once more, he asked them, who are you looking for? And again, they replied, Jesus the Nazarene. I told you that I am he, Jesus said. And since I am the one you want, let these others go. John chapter 18, verses 4 to 8. We have it there. So would you agree with me, Christ's miracles should have been well known. 
Do you think nobody knew of Christ? Do you think the temple gods should have known who Christ was? I'll prove it to you later on as we go on in the message. So Christ's miracles were well known. He was the celebrity of the day. Would you agree with me? I mean, you, you raise people from the dead, you heal the deaf, you heal the sick, and all that stuff, you'd be well known in South Africa. So he was well known. Signs and wonders, life-changing teachings. His teachings impacted people's lives. There's a scripture in John 12, 37 that says, But despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in Him. So even with all those signs and wonders, many did not believe it, but they knew who He was. So my answer to this question is, why did the temple gods not recognize Christ? Why did they have to ask, where is Jesus the Nazarene? My answer to that is, because I believe He purposefully blinded them. Why would he purposefully blind the temple gods? So he can show he gave himself. They never came to fetch him. He gave himself. He thrust himself into sacrifice. He thrust himself into giving and to laying down his... He went as a very willing lamb to be slaughtered. Isaiah 53 verse 7. He was a willing lamb himself going to the slaughter. It wasn't human ability that arrested Christ. That's why they didn't recognize Him. Even though He told them, I am He. They, they didn't even understand when He said, I am He. They had to ask a second time. They said, here I am. And then He opened up their eyes. Because He chose to control the situation. Mankind was not, did not play a part in Him giving Himself. He chose to thrust Himself into suffering, into sacrifice. He blinded their recognizing of them and their perception. He thrust himself, not flinching. He just did it boldly. And it clearly illustrates that he directed this whole process. He made it happen. And I believe had he not said twice, I am he, they still would not have seen him. And when he said, I am he, remember God said, in, when, when Abraham asked who God was, he says, I am who I am. That is one of the most powerful statements of the Creator. When He said, I am who, who you're looking for, the power of God knocked them down. Let's look at, at proof at why they should have known Christ. And that we find in John 7, 45 to 47. When the temple gods returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded. So the temple gods were sent out in John chapter 7 before His crucifixion. Go and arrest Christ, the previous occasion. So they returned without having arrested Jesus. The leading priests and Pharisees demanded, Why didn't you bring him in? We have, then they answered, We have never heard anyone speak like this. The gods responded, Have you... Uh, oh, they said, We have never heard anyone speak like this. They responded, the gods responded, Have you also been led astray too? The Pharisees mocked them. Have you been led astray by this Christ? Why? Why did you not arrest him? So if the temple gods, say they weren't the same temple gods, but they were so stunned and stupefied by his teachings, do you think they would have kept it to themselves? No, they would have told the other temple gods. And all the signs and miracles and wonders would have been known by the temple gods, but yet they did not recognize him. Because Christ said, I will thrust myself into sacrifice. I go as a willing lamb to the slaughter. I determine the situation. You do not come and arrest me. 
I do it in my own free will. I do it because I control the situation. So, do you know that Peter thrust himself? We spoke about that in a previous message. Peter came, and when, 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 he, when Jesus wanted to wash his feet, Peter said, um, no, please, you um, don't wash my feet. It's beneath your level to wash my feet. And then Jesus said, if you do not permit me to wash your feet, then, um, then you have, you'll have no part of me. And then Peter said, wash all of me, God. Take all of me. And we spoke about thrusting ourselves. You must want to want God to want you. You must thrust yourself at Christ. And here Christ is thrusting himself into sacrifice. Thrusting himself into suffering. He's determining that he's going to die. He's determining that he's going to lay down his life. Despite the fact that the gods tried to come and arrest him and could not recognize him because he blinded them. So too, we have to thrust ourselves into enduring the cross. Who of you tiptoe around suffering and sacrifice? So Christ here doesn't tiptoe. He thrusts himself. I am he. He has to say it twice. He has to prove to them he is the one controlling the situation. He's giving of himself. They don't come fetch him. It's beneath them. It's beneath him that they would come fetch the creator of the universe to make the biggest sacrifice that's ever been done in all of creation. So we tiptoe around sacrifice. We tiptoe around suffering. And here Christ says, no, I, I, I embrace suffering. I embrace sacrifice. I jump at it. I thrust myself into it. You know that Paul embraced suffering. All right, so don't worry. I'm not going to lose my trousers. But I'm just going to do an illustration here. So, Leonard, I think for safety's sake, you'll have to come do it shortly. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> Very safe. Very safe. Paul embraced suffering. So the question, the, the statement I want to make is, with every God-led sacrifice and laying down of our rights and privileges, there is a God-guaranteed blessing and glory in the form of His resurrecting life coming into action. If you lay down your life or you sacrifice because God is leading you and that's the way God is walking with you, you must know there's a God-guaranteed resurrection after that. There's a, because that, nothing that dies in Christ remains dead in Christ. God resurrects it. So everything you give up for God, every sacrifice, every humble road you take, every cheek you turn, every part of being the least you do, there will be a reward for that. Because you do it as, in, as following the example of your Savior. So, let's read a bit about Paul. If we go look at uh, Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11, it says, Paul says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. I want to suffer with Him, sharing in His death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Then he says, I thrust myself into giving my life. I thrust myself into laying down. I thrust myself into sacrifice, into pain. Then the next few verses speaks about him pressing in, which even speaks, if you press and thrust, they're pretty much the same. Am I right? Press is a, a soft thrust. But I'm pressing towards the goal. Verse 12, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things. Or that I've already reached perfection. So he says, I'm not perfect yet. 
but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So this getting close to perfection is not possible outside of suffering. Do you see that? I give my life. I want to lay down my life so that I can reach perfection. Would you think perfection is attainable outside of sacrifice? Because you can't sacrifice you holding on to the three unholy trinities. Me, I, and my. Come on, Ruth, speak up. Me, I, and myself. Kaz. <laughs> know your name. <laughs> Deny yourself. Do you think perfection is attainable outside of laying down sacrifice and suffering? I know this is not a very popular message. But I believe we, times are, are getting tougher and we have to prepare ourselves for what lays ahead. We're already going through the fact that we can't go to class, the fact that we can't be a hundred in church, the fact that we have to walk around with masks, da-da-da-da-da, all of this stuff. Perfection is not attainable outside of sacrifice and suffering. When we suffer, we seek Him more, or we turn away from Him until we hit rock bottom. Then we've got nowhere else to go except, God, help! But why, why wait till rock bottom? Why not turn to Him when we suffer? So when we suffer, we seek Him more earnestly, and our relation. when you seek God, what happens to your relationship with Him? It's established. It grows. It, it just grows from strength to strength. So Paul knowingly went into persecution and suffering. He thrust himself into it, knowing full well the pain that awaits him. So verse 10 of, um, of Acts 21 says the following. Several days later, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt, and bound his own feet and hands with it. Then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so let's do that quickly. So Agabus, he took Paul's belt. I'm not Paul, but I mean, I'm a type of a Paul. Would you bind my feet? So he took Paul's belt, this Agabus, and then he, Agabus, tied his own feet. And they must have had, I need to get closer to my notes. So they must have had another belt because he not only fastened his belt, oh, maybe it was a very long belt because he fastened his feet and his hands. I don't have that long belt. And then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner, thanks, you can my listen. So shall the owner of this belt um, be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. When Paul heard this, um, okay, when we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul, not Paul. When everybody heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But Paul said, why all this weeping? You are breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. When it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. So he had a prophetic word. If you go to Judea, if you arrive there, is it Judea? 
Jerusalem. When you go to Jerusalem, this will happen to you. The leaders will do this and that to you. They will beat you up. They will force you. And he said, I know it's God's will. I'm thrusting myself. I'm pressing myself into sacrifice, into suffering. So, just as a, a little by-the-way point before we go into application, how to manage the effects, the effects of thrusting yourself into suffering. You need to wait quietly before God, which means you run to Him, you speak to Him, you cry out to Him, and then you just sit quietly in His presence. Because when you come to God quietly, in the midst of suffering and life storms, it says you've truly come to trust Him. If you can be quiet and at peace, when all hell is breaking out around you or towards you, it says you truly have chosen to trust Him in the midst of the storm. Psalm 62 says, I wait quietly before God, for my victory comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will never be shaken. I wait quietly before God, for my victory comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will never be shaken. Scripture also says in Psalm 46 verse 10, I don't think it's on the notes, Be still and know that I am God. So, even though where we are choosing, what well, I want to challenge you tonight, to thrust yourself into sacrifice. Christ did it because He had what ahead of Him. He endured the cross for the what? The joy set before Him. He endured the cross because He saw your faces. He saw you and millions of other people coming to salvation, being set free by the good message of there's freedom from fear. There's freedom from guilt. There's freedom from condemnation. There's freedom from hell. And there's an open door to have an intimate relationship with a living God that created you. All of that is the gospel. I've come to set the captives free. So, so Christ endured the cross. And, and at one stage, He said to the Father, Father, can this cup pass me by? Is it possible that, that I don't have to do this? But not my will, your will be done. And he knew he had to press on, thrust himself into the sacrifice, thrust himself into the arms of the temple gods, because he knew that was the only way he would buy us back from the power of Satan. So some practical examples where we might want to lunge ourselves into sacrifice or suffering. I'm going to just share a story before I illustrate or give you the point the first point in practical uh, application. There's a very powerful story uh, shared by a well-known evangelist in the States, Mario Murillo. Any of you heard of him? I think some of the, yes, the older folks would have heard of him. You're still too young. Can you nog onthou, Asher? Die onthou jylle dit? Kaz and Ruth, Nodine. Mario Murillo. Not. All right, so he shares a story of, um, they, had, they have crusades all over the states, and they had a crusade somewhere in California, close to a city, put up a big tent, and thousands of people came and got saved. There were signs and wonders and miracles and things happening, and he preached the gospel. Very fiery preacher, Maria Murillo. And um, they came in this, um, 
16, 17-year-old boy, 18, maybe, no, maybe closer to 18. He came in, and he got radically saved, but he was in tatters. He, he smelled, he, he was like totally, you could see he stayed on the streets. So he got saved, and they, they gave him a job, and they tried to dry, disciple him back into wholeness. And his story is as follows. He grew up in a, in a military home. And his father kept saying to him, you know, at 5 o'clock every afternoon we eat. If you're not here 5 o'clock, you do not have supper. And then he obviously being a boy of 14, 13, he was always playing with his friends and he lost tra track of time. And at one stage, um, his father said to him, if you do not, uh, if you do not make the 5 o'clock curfew tonight, I'm throwing you out the house. His father was very militarist militaristic. He was like, very strict. And so, um, lo and behold, the, the boy realized, oh, looked at his watch, and he realized he's five minutes late, ran home, and, and his mom tried to let him come slipping through the back of the house, and his father was at the door, and he said, and he took his suitcase, his clothes, and he threw it on the front porch, and he said, get out of my house. 13, 14 years old. Chased him out the house, because he broke the curfew that his dad had put up there, this captain, whatever he was in the military. So he went on the streets, and unfortunately, he had to sell his body to make a living. He had to, well, was got onto drugs, got, a lot of, got involved in a lot of wrong things, and then got radically saved at this crusade. And, um, and he said to Mario, I have to go back to my dad, and I have to tell him that I have nothing against him and that I love him. But more importantly, I have to tell him that Jesus loves him and Jesus wants to save him. So um, he ends up going back to his dad, knocks on the door at the age of 18. They haven't seen him for about four years. And his mom opens the door, and she's weeping. She's so happy he's come. And she said, come, you can slip in the back. And he said, no, no, I must go speak to dad. And his dad is sitting at the kitchen table with his newspaper. He always read newspaper that time of the afternoon. Everything gets done in, you know, uh, slots. He, he's very predictable. You know exactly what happens every hour. Nothing is different. It's rituals, like militaristic routine. And so he goes and he sits opposite his dad. His dad's got this newspaper. His father doesn't even greet him. And he says, Dad, I just want to say to you, I've met Jesus and you know, what happened four years ago. I'm sorry I didn't come on time, but I want to say to you, I love you, Dad. I want to tell you about Jesus. And then as he's sharing this with his father, he's the newspaper starts shaking. And he sees big drops falling behind the newspaper. And his dad breaks down. And he says, my son, I must say sorry. I've been a monster. And the father comes radically to Christ. But it's because of that unconditional love that the son showed him. The son embraced him, turned the other cheek, loved on his dad, even though his dad did not deserve it. Now, we have some people like that in our lives. That will cost a sacrifice. Who says, Amen, Amen. That will cost pain and suffering. Your pain dying, your pride dying. So, who? First, practical application. Think of somebody, most unthinkable person in your hearts, that you really dislike, that God might be telling you to go wash their feet. Each one just become quiet. Ask the Lord. Lunge yourself into sacrifice. Lunge yourself into suffering.
unthinkable person. He really disliked this person. Like he must have really worked through anger and hatred towards his dad. Ask the Lord, whose feet must I go wash? Someone that you might have to reach out to that really frustrates you. This is, I think, less as intense as the first one. Sacrifice. Giving up. Um, thrusting yourself into suffering. Somebody that really frustrates you. That really rubs you up the wrong way. You really don't like this person. But you need to reach out to them. For the love of Christ. Think of someone like that. Ask the Lord to show you. Each one close his eyes. Ask the Lord right now. Who is that very frustrating person? Actually been avoiding that person. Could be family, could be friend, could be a neighbor. Could be somebody that studies with you or works with you. Once you have that picture of that person's face, Keep it. And then the next one is to be honest about something that's going to cost you. Um, something financial. Might be something financial that you have to, that you haven't done. You've not been honest. And it might lead to you being, being rejected if you're honest about this financial situation. Anything that you might have to be honest about that might, that might cause rejection. So thrust yourself into that sacrifice so that God's kingdom can be built. And the last one is giving something away that will really cost you much. A big price to give this something. God's been niggling to you to give something away. You've been saying, no, 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 no. Become quiet for a few moments. Ask the Lord. Does He want you to give something away that's going to cost you a price? It's going to be a sacrifice. Does he want you to be honest about something that's going to cost rejection? Want you to reach out to somebody that is really frustrating or go wash the unthinkable's feet. Somebody you really dislike. Right. So could I ask you, if, if you have one of these that you feel God is telling you to do. Just one. It might be more. I'd like you to stand up. I'd like us to pray together. So if the communities can stand up and pray with us. I'd like you just to put your arms out and face the ceiling with your palms. And pray after me. You know what? First pray on your own. Then we'll pray together. Just each one. Ask God. To help you to pull this off. Because your own strength, you don't have the capacity. So Lord, help me to pull this off. This is very hard. But I want to thrust myself to the cross for the joy set before me as Christ did. This is my cross.
All right. Can we all pray together? Just pray after me. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, I come to you this afternoon just as I am. Lord, I want to please you because you've given everything to me. You love me so much. Pray that your love for me would become a greater reality in the days ahead. But I pray, Lord, as I am smothered in your love, that I would have the courage, Lord, the guts to sacrifice in this area where you've, where you've convicted me. Lord, let me do it at all costs, Father. Let me do it in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, please keep reminding me to do your will in Jesus' name. Amen.